Good afternoon. It's uh, actually such a lovely day out there. It's kind of sad to be in here. But um, we will handle this in an expeditious manner and get all of us out to enjoy the day. Uh, Ms. Rowe, you have reserved five minutes for rebuttal. And Mr. Beeman, um, you have your 20. So, Council, if you're ready to proceed, you may. May it please the court, opposing counsel, uh, thanks again for rescheduling this argument. Um, the issue in this case is whether SAFECO's amended complaint allegations established any set of circumstances under which SAFECO would be entitled to relief against McShaley's. That is the Rule 12b-6 standard governing this court's review. Stated differently, are the facts alleged in the amended complaint capable of supporting relief against Michelle's under any set of circumstances? Labels are irrelevant under How any set of How did you pronounce it? Michaelis or Michaelis? I've always said Michaelis. I think it's Michaelis. I was wrong altogether. Michaelis. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Um, the facts in this case, which have to be taken as true, they're in the uh, amended complaint, are that the fire occurred obviously safe goes insured I had a fire at, at her house um, the fire occurred on October 31st 2019 a few days later on November the 6th Safeco came out to uh, conduct a preliminary scene exam Michelis was uh, in attendance at that exam where their representatives were at that time Safeco's consultant determined that the fire had originated I ask you a question Michelis uh who hired Michelis? Was it a Safeco or, or Ms. Smith? It was Ms. Smith. It was the insured. Was that at Safeco's direction or suggestion? If the Your Honor, says? I don't know that. Okay. Um, to or, be truthful. It, you know, that, that's a question for me too because in many instances, a, uh, an insurer will tell its insured, well, get it taken care of and we'll come out and adjust the loss. And in other words, hire whoever you want and then when we adjust the loss, We'll take that into consideration and, mm -hmm. you know, as the sub-regor, sub so. Yeah. So in any event, there was no contractual privity between Safeco and Michelis? Except for the fact that this is a subrogation case, so they would stand in the shoes of their insured. Was there a contract between the insured and Michelis? That is not in the record. That is not in evidence. Um, and this is so early on, I honestly don't know the answer okay. to that question. Okay, so, so if there was a contract... A written contract we don't know but there was at least some kind of agreement that they were retained to come out and do work on the property yes they were retained to come out and remediate the property and when they were going through the scene exam and it was determined that the kitchen and this actual product this it was a uh, food dehydrator that that product was what caused the uh, fire then that's when Safeco taped it off with caution tape and basically said you know you can remediate but just you know, this area needs to be preserved so that we can notify the responsible defendants, get them to come out if, if they choose to, to do their own scene exam. Was there anything in writing with regard to that or was it just verbal according to the record? All we know is what the amended complaint says, gotcha. which has to be taken as true. Okay. So is it fair to say that your position is that Michelis was your insured's agent? I, I believe they would be considered our agent under like the Nipsco versus Aqua case. If the court looks at that case, that's the, that's the furnace case. It's the one where um, the part of the, uh, Aqua had a fire. They thought it was because of some 
electrical arcing that had occurred by the furnace. And so they hired a contractor to come out and do whatever work it was hired to do, Aqua did. And at that point, the contractor preserved the furnace, but they only preserved part of the furnace. The rest of the furnace was discarded. Aqua later finds that out, and in the suit by Aqua against Nipsco, Nipsco says, look, we have a first party spoliation here. Not a claim, but we want a default judgment. We want some kind of a, a sanction because of the first party spoliation of Aqua. And Aqua says, wait a minute, we didn't do it. It was this contractor that did it, and it was our contractor that did it. And the court in that case says, we, the, court of, the trial court said, I'm not going to do the default judgment. Court of appeal said, okay, I firm on the no, no default judgment, but there is first party spoliation here by Aqua. And if Aqua has a remedy, it is to do a third party spoliation suit against their contractor, which is exactly what we have here. This is, had we not, had we gone forward with the principal defendants, they would have said first party spoliation because they don't have this evidence. So I just want to make sure, in my mind, it really doesn't make any difference to you who hired Michelle's. Yes, I believe that, that Safeco and its insured are going to be considered one and the same. Okay, so whether the insured actually called Michelle's in and hired them, mm -hmm. as sometimes happens. In other words, if the company denied the loss, the insured would, you, would be responsible for Michelis's bill. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. So your point, though, is that that's not our case here. It doesn't make any difference here that Michelis owed a separate third-party duty to Safeco. Yes. Okay. And I believe that duty arose when they were informed of the need to preserve that evidence. And then they actually took that step of building a structure to preserve the evidence. And that conversation, uh, on that conversation, is really what hangs both the spoliation case and the negligence case, correct? I believe it does if it goes forward. Right now, before this court, I believe we have to take it as true under the, because we're at the 12B6 well, motion. I, I understand 12B6 but yes, is this flimsiest, case, flimsiest reason to get rid of. Right, right. Litigation. Absolutely. If this case goes forward, then yes, I mean, there's obviously we can't just rest on our pleadings. We're going to have to prove um, these things happened, and I don't know what their defense is going to be, but I'm sure they'll have one. So, absolutely, you're correct. Um, so, Michelle's uh, duty to preserve the scene, um, Safeco made the direction as alleged in the complaint, and um, at this point, you're saying the, the complaint alleges sufficient facts to show a privity or a duty? Uh, to show a duty, yes. Because they are there on behalf of Smith, even if they're not hired by Safeco? They had a duty. I, I don't believe it's a privity argument that I'm making. They had a duty under the third-party spoliation case and even under Webb versus Jarvis, if you're, we're going to the strict negligence case, if you look at the fact that they were in that meeting, according to the complaint, they were advised and notified that, look, we, this area has to be preserved till we can go get everybody notified and they can do their thing. And at that point, then they said, oh, well, you know, this, they, you know, they had caution tape there. They went one step further and actually built a structure to preserve it. And they preserved it for almost a month, at least. They, There's a long period of time when you've got a fire loss. It's a fire loss, and I don't know, again, I don't know the facts of what no, happened I mean, in that period I, of time. And I understand but. what you're saying, and all of this could be developed. 
at trial or at least develop more with regard to a summary judgment motion. But I can easily see a contractor like Michelle saying, hey, it's been almost 60 days. I haven't heard anything from Safeco. Yeah. So go ahead and tear it down. And that, I think that, that would be something yeah. to be developed. That would be something that would be developed. summary judgment, not a 12 Ab Absolutely. We're just asking for a chance to fight until we get to summary judgment and then hopefully pass that stage um, and get, you know, because at this point we've lost our claim against, you know, we didn't cause the fire either. We don't allege Michelle has caused the fire. They wouldn't even be sued had it not been for the discarding of this evidence. Um, so what Supreme Court case squarely accepts third-party spoilation as a cause of action? I believe it, I'm sorry, I believe it's Glotzbach. Glotzbach, Gribbons talks about it in the first party context and then leaves that door open. Glotzbach is the employee-employer case, and it's a case where they do not find third party spoliation because they say in, in that context an employer does not have the uh, duty to preserve, I think it was a power saw or whatever it was, to preserve that evidence. But they recognize that Thompson, and they do so favorably, and Thompson is squarely on point with a third-party spoliation. That was an Indiana Court of Appeals opinion. But if Glotzbach disagreed with it, if the Indiana Supreme Court disagreed with it, Glotzbach would have been the perfect opportunity to do so um, and to say, no, Indiana is strictly not going to uh, recognize a third-party spoliation cause of action. But Thompson is your, really your strongest case. Is Thompson is a very strong case. Tell me. I think that in Aqua. Tell me why in, in Thompson you had two people with very specialized knowledge of how things work. You had landlord's insurer and uh, the insurer for the tenant, I believe. Bottom line is, both of these people are insurers. It's not very much different than the default law in the state of Indiana where a party can be defaulted when the insurer sleeps on the claim. And my point is, you, this is not the same situation in which you have an insurer on the other side, you have a contractor or a subcontractor. I don't know how, where Michelle stood in the chain, but let's assume it was a contractor. What kind of specialized knowledge did Michelle have that rises to the specialized level of knowledge that was in Thompson? One, I, to answer your question directly, I would say that Michelis is in, the is in a company that's in the business of doing remediations. They are not new to the insurance claims. They're not new to this process. This is a 500, over $500,000 insurance claim. Obviously, an insurance carrier is going to want to get paid back for that, um, if for no other reason to keep the premiums down for everybody else. And so I, I don't, I, when you talk about sophisticated parties, I think they are sophisticated. I, I don't think it's right to say they're not sophisticated. However, I don't think Thompson or the third-party spoliation analysis focuses solely on that. They're talking about your knowledge of an anticipated, let me, I want to get the language right. Um, when you know that it's anticipated, here we go. In Thompson, it says, and this was a case, again, it's a court of appeals case, but it was one that was um, looked too favorably by the Indian Supreme Court. And it says, is there an actionable duty? The spoliator's knowledge of the situation circumstances may support the recognized duty. The relationship between the carrier, in that case it was a carrier, and the third party claimant could warrant 
it if the carrier knew or should have known of the likelihood of litigation. And in that, that's when they start talking about, you know, these are insurance carriers, they know this. In this case, they were actually informed of the need to preserve this evidence and, and of the need for Safeco to have to advise the, the responsible parties. What would that mean? What is, I mean, again, we have to take that as true now. What does responsible parties mean? if it doesn't mean we're gonna go after somebody. I mean, obviously they're anticipating litigation um, at that time. So I think that's the critical inquiry and not just the specialized knowledge. But again, I think uh, Michelis is in the industry of remediating these claims. So even if uh, Indiana courts, let's say Supreme Court, you, uh, they take an opposite position, I guess, as you've argued as to the Goldbach case, uh, mm -hmm. Goldsbach case, do you think you could still proceed on the negligence claim? I believe so. And in this case, again, under the 12B6 standard, it says under any legal theory, any set of circumstances. In this case, the trial court said, look, your negligence case is really just a restatement of your third-party spoliation claim. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know why the inverse is not true. To be honest, I don't know why the third-party spoliation case is not really a restatement, if you're, just, if you're gonna say that, of the negligence claim. When you look at this, third-party spoliation, and granted there's a dearth of evidence, there's only a few cases out there that talk about actually the elements of third-party spoliation. The only difference I see with that in a pure negligence standard is the Webb versus Jarvis. They look at Webb versus Jarvis, but they seem to do so on a modified basis, um, kind of like what was done uh, for years with the Goldsberry cases, where we, you look at it kind of modified. And there the focus is on the relationship prong. And it seems like in some of the cases even say the relationship prong controls over the other prongs. In some negligence cases, I don't think that's so. So that's the only distinction between them. But I think the court should have looked at it under negligence. And this court did not look at it under negligence. It just, I mean, it didn't say there is no negligence. It simply said, we don't need to consider that because it really is just another label for third-party spoliation. And Indiana doesn't recognize third-party spoliation in this circumstance. Um, I, I, you know, when I read the court's, uh, the trial court's opinion, it, it, I felt like it was kind of going to your specialized thing that it has to be in the insurance context and the insurance context only. And I don't think Indiana law has been that narrow um, in that regard. And um, so, yeah, I, I think it, it should have looked at it under negligence and we should be able to proceed under that theory if the third party spoliation doesn't work. It all comes down to the same thing. Here, the damages are not speculative at all. We know exactly what they are. Well, you don't know for sure what role the, uh, the device or, or appliance played. But for purposes of this motion, we do. For purposes of right now, we know that, that product caused that fire. And if you have that, that's it. There's, so there's no speculation, sorry, there's no speculation there. Um, again, summary, you know, we just want to fight another day. That's, that's the whole purpose of being here um, and to try to get this money. And we, we believe that that's, that that's appropriate under Indiana law as it is now. Any other questions for now? Thank you. Thank you, Your Honors. Uh, Alex Beeman from Reminger Law Firm and the in Evansville Bar Association uh, on behalf of Michelis. Um, I'd like to start with uh, some of the first questions I think Judge Bradford had mentioned. Um, this is, again, we're, we're on a motion to dismiss stage, um, but just background that I know more, and I know Ms. Rowe was not involved in the underlying litigation. Uh, the EDON, who's the 
fire person that's in charge of the emergency medical services, they actually they actually kind of referred to Michelis, and then Safeco basically on the back end just picked it up, uh, kind of what Judge Mathias was, was suggesting. Uh, and there are contracts uh, between Smith and Michelis. Uh, that forms the basis of the payments that were made to remediate. Um, and there's actually two different contracts, one for the emergency services that were done, and then actually one for the actual repairs. But we're here in 12B6. Here in 12B6, that's not on the record. Which is absolutely the flimsiest reason to be. Would you agree Agreed. with that? Agree with that. And I think it doesn't matter because I think, uh, for lack of better terms, the Smith sit, or Safeco's sitting in the shoes of Smith. And I would agree with you with respect to the agency question um, 100%. I think Michelis would be a agent based on the pleadings or allegations made would be an agent of Safeco on the premises. I mean, otherwise, I don't think there would be any right to be on the premises if you weren't being paid by somebody to be there. Well, but again, initially, I think you're indicating that another third party suggested to Smith that she call Michelis. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Fire department. Okay. So she calls Michelis. And by calling Michelis, and as you indicate, there may even be a contract out there, mm -hmm. uh, she agrees to be liable for the cost, correct? Correct. Okay. And then we have the next step of Safeco standing in the shoes of that contract, correct? Sure. They picked up the, they picked up the claim short of the $1,000 deductible. All right. Yep. Um, so how do you react to the... How do you respond to, I suppose, most humans' reaction would be if somebody throws out your evidence, you ought to be able to do something. Sure. You ought to be able to sue them, all right? Uh, and, and, and that's what Safeco is saying there's a legal recognition of, but there's just that. How do you respond to that, all right? So, so first, there's a, one, there's no established, I think, and this is why we're talking about why V. Jarvis in the first place. There's no established duty under Indiana law. Gribbins mentions third-party spoliation. It was a first-party spoliation case. Glotzbach uh, leaves the door open for a third-party spoliation case. The two cases that have found third-party spoliation in the Indiana are the Thompson case and uh, the Fleener case. Thompson's from 1998, Fleener's from 2017. Both those cases analyzed under the Webb v. Jarvis because, frankly, I don't think there's not a clear uh, understanding of what, it, what the duty is uh, to preserve evidence on a third party, okay? Uh, as an initial matter, before I get into that discussion, and I think that's an important discussion to have, is uh, there's no precedent in Indiana that uh, mandates a damages remedy for somebody that says that they're injured. And there are a number of contexts when that happens. Uh, the context that came to mind when I was preparing for this was uh, you have a duty to report abuse of a child, for instance. The Court of Appeals and, and the Indiana Supreme Court have been very clear. I don't think there's a civil, there is an obligation under Indiana law statute to report something like that. But there's no civil remedy for failing to do that on behalf of like the parent or something. An obligation on the part of whom to report child abuse? So if the parent would want to sue, for instance, the, the person that failed to report the abuse of their child, 
there would be no civil remedy for that. I think that's the C.T. Gannon case is the one that comes to mind. No, I understand, but you, you spoke to statute, and my understanding of the statute is it really involves mostly healthcare professionals or counseling professionals have a duty under the law to report. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Yep. So that's just one. So so one thing I want to say is that just because there's a potential or an alleged injury doesn't under Article One, Section Twelve of the Indiana Constitution, due course of law doesn't necessitate that there be a finding of some sort of remedy for a party. Uh, how, we've ex how we have, in Indiana so far, addressed third-party spoliation is through the Webb v. Web v. Jar Jarvis framework. That's what was done in the Thompson case, which found third-party spoliation in the insurance uh, context, and in the Fleener case with the doctor that lost the medical records. Both those cases analyzed it under the Webb v. Jarvis. I analyzed it under the Webb v. Jarvis in the briefing because I can't think of any better way to do it, frankly. Uh, short of trying to argue the few states that adopt a negligent failure to maintain spoilation case uh, in the United States. By What's the breakdown of that? So uh, I didn't do an exhaustive search on this with respect to specifically negligent uh, failure to maintain evidence. Uh, I believe it's five or less. Um, and there's party spoliation cases. Third, for third-party spoliation. Okay, that's the yes. five. Okay. That's the, yeah, I think, there, I think it's five or less. Um, there is exhaustive decisions in West Virginia and Alabama. With the West Virginia case is called Hannah versus Heater, 584 Northeast 2nd, 560. And then Killings versus Enterprise is the Alabama case, and that's 9 uh, South, Southeast 3rd, 1216, uh, 2008 Alabama Supreme Court case. But isn't it pretty clear under Indiana law that third-party spoliation cases, as they have developed here in the state of Indiana, have developed only on a case-by-case -case basis and not with a very strong and continuous legal rationale? I would agree with that 100%. Yes. So that's where I think the Webb v. Jarvis, you have to analyze this case within the Webb v. Jarvis framework. So the two cases, and this is where I distinguish this case dramatically from Thompson and Fleener itself. First prong is the relationship. Both in Thompson and Fleener, you had, quote unquote, a special relationship. There's a lot of special relationships under ANA law, patient, physician, you know, attorney, client, accountant, accountant uh, client. Um, in Thompson, it was obviously the insurer insured which has been deemed a special relationship. They make that, uh, the, in the decision in footnote six, they specifically say that it's a special relationship. So then are you indicating that even th that the strongest case that Safeco can make is the negligence claim, not the third party spoliation claim? No, I don't think there's any distinction. Because there hasn't- Is there any distinction between those two? Do not think so. Okay. And the reason being is there hasn't been an established, the allegations under both of them are the same. We spoilated the allegations. We spoilated evidence. There, because there's been a, not an acknowledgement of a duty under that circumstance before. Either way, you're falling back on Webb v. Jarvis. Well, well they they pled a duty. All right. That 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 is your client had a duty, and that mm -hmm. it either existed or they assumed the duty when when they were there at the scene. And they said, "Hey, hang on to this stuff." You know, um, okay, we'll do that. They put up some tape. All right, and at the very least, it's been, and what we have to assume is 
excuse me, what we, we have to uh, take as true is that they at least assumed a duty to, to take care and control of the scene, including uh, the dehydration machine or whatever we're calling it. Okay, so uh, that seems to be at this stage of the proceeding a given. Well, if, if I, Unless I would agree. you're not going to recognize those two causes of action, negligence or third-party spoilation. I agree with you if you, uh, um, this gets into the question of reasonable inferences, I think, under the, under the allegations of the complaint. I think even if you go as far as saying Michelle is being aware of the need to preserve the scene, gets you to the point where you're saying, uh, you know, Michelle has agreed to preserve the scene. If we get to the agreement point, I can address that a little bit later, but that goes into the reasonable inferences, and I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. If you want to go there, that's fine. You still have to find the duty. There's been in Indiana case. There's been no. There's not one uh, third-party spoliation case that have found the circumstances just like this because there's no special relationship between a, just a, a contractor. Look now. They weren't just a contractor. I mean, they did have a relationship with the insured, correct? Oh, sure, but a business relationship or contractual relationship has never been deemed a special relationship under any law. Okay. Um, so what would be Safeco's relationship with the insured? They're their insurer, correct? Correct. And in a subrogation action, um, what sort of shoes does Safeco stand in? The, the Safeco stands in Smith's shoes. So um, let's just, you know, substitute Safeco's name for the word Smith. So Smith, you're saying, are you saying she did not have a contractual relationship with Michelis? No, I, there's, they're both in each other's shoes. So Smith signed the actual contract in this okay, case. You, so can flip, had, you can flip it around, it doesn't matter. Had, 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 a, had a, some kind of contractual relationship. Because Michelis would have to be pretty stupid, wouldn't they, to come out and do all this work without any kind of contract or written agreement or something. Oh, we're just going to come out and work Absolutely, on and actually I think that gets to Judge Bradford's point, which is if you, would, if you take the reasonable inferences to very far, which I don't think you necessarily need to or could, but even if you do say the need turns into some sort of agreement to preserve the scene, right, you're still getting at an agreement, whether it's oral or written. There's still some agreement there between the parties. I'm just saying, under Indiana law, uh, I got a cite for you even. Uh, Comfax Corporation versus North American Van Lines, 587 Northeast 2nd, 118, Indiana Court of Appeals case from 1992, and there's a couple other ones I have. But in short, those cases stand for this proposition that a contractual relationship is not deemed a special relationship under uh, under Indiana law. So like, there's a lender. We don't uh, need a special relationship if we have a contract, do we? I mean, you well, know, this is my from point. What I, from what I understand about about spoliation is is there are several different circumstances. So you've got agreement, you've got contract, you've got statute, you've got independent tort and or special circumstances. So we have a contract. So doesn't that fit in there? Or what am I missing? If you want to reasonably infer that it's a contract, you can reasonably infer it's a contract. And this is what actually I, I, I brought up with Judge Dietrich at the hearing. Page 23 of the transcript that before you specifically has me stating in the motion to dismiss argument, I specifically say if they thought, if they want to allege that there's an agreement that Michelis took on the obligation, they needed to plead that and they could just plead a breach of contract claim. 
but they pled it as a negligence third-party spoliation claim. And I, I said that specifically page 23. I said, you could state a claim for breach of contract if you want to allege, obviously within the constraints of... Well, is it, but is, was it a term of the contract um, for them to keep this this all safe? I mean, when you're talking about a breach of contract claim, you have to breach the terms of the contract. But a negligence claim is something different. So it, it's very fine and good to say, why didn't they plead breach of contract, and then say, oh, it wasn't part of the contract. Oops, you lose. So um, I guess... Uh, maybe I'm not. I'm not saying you, I'm not saying they had to. It, I'm not saying it has to necessarily be an oral contract, but I'm saying that if we tacitly agree, now there's arguments about incorporation and stuff like that. But you'd have to get obviously a designated evidence to figure that out. Um, but I'm not saying you would pull a fast one on them. What I'm saying is, is if there was some sort of oral agreement, you could have just pled a breach of contract claim against Michelle's. Well, you then, didn't have to go for the. You didn't have to go for the tort uh, realm. Well, I guess I guess I'm not understanding. Are are you conceding or not conceding that the the evidence that is there should get past a 12b6? Well, I'm not conceding that because I think the because it sounds like your argument's kind of going around like this. To me. Yeah, yeah, I'll try to clear it up. So, the the allegations in paragraph 17 of the pro, the of the complaint, uh, which is page 32, I think, uh, of the appendix, volume two appendix. Uh, that says Michelis was aware of the need to preserve the scene. Okay, that didn't say we agreed to preserve the scene. Doesn't mean we did anything really directly to do that, right? Um, if you want to infer by the next paragraph that us tarp, you know, that us protecting and securing the scene is us agreeing to do that then it, on the broad scope of things, you could say that maybe states a claim for a breach of contract, and that's what I'm saying. We, that's an agreement. You could infer that maybe in, as an agreement between the parties. Don't th I don't think you c should go there because I don't think that's a reasonable inference from that understanding that we're a remediation company in the case, um, and that they had opportunities. Again, I admitted in the thing, I said you could state a breach of contract claim you can amend the complaint, and they didn't do so. So y you can infer if you wanted to an agreement, and I suppose you could reverse and say, well, they didn't state a claim for tort, you know, a tort under third-party spoilation, but there's something there with the contract, I suppose, is what you're, I think you're getting at, Judge May. Is that right? Well, I just, I, I guess, I... <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I'm not really quite sure what um, I was getting at because I don't understand the whole breach of contract versus, you know, the negligence and the fact that they alleged this but, but didn't allege that it just seems like your argument is a little circular. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, maybe a different way. All right. Perfect. Uh, when you contract with somebody, that seems like a close relationship. All right, people have duties and obligations. How is that, with all due respect, if, if, if I'm understanding what you say the prior case law says, how is that not a special circumstance or a special relationship between the parties that would give rise to the duty uh, that is the, the crux here? You look like you understand the question. Go yep. ahead. This gets back to my, my first point, which is both Thompson and Fleener deal with special relationship situations. 
where there's a special relationship, a fiduciary obligation or duty between those parties to do something uh, that does not exist just in pure, basic contractual relationships. Ms. Rowe, though, makes the point that if a contractor is routinely involved with remediation, and in this case, very serious remediation, reconstruction, they're aware of basic subrogation, that her insurance company, Ms. Smith's insurance company, may want something from the contractor because of the subrogation relationship under the contract entered into by Smith. So help me understand, you know, I think, I mean, I, I see Michelis on trucks all around. Sure. This is not, this is not, you know, Joe Smith and Sons, uh, mm -hmm. you know, general contractor. Yep. This gets to, I think, the foreseeability aspect of this, um, which uh, is the second prong of Webby Jarvis, obviously, right? Um, uh, I would be lying to you if a, if a remediate, if I get up here, a remediation contractor doesn't say, if I said they don't deal with insurance all the time. I mean, that's just basic knowledge, right? They deal with insurance. I do think it's another leap to say that they deal in subrogation. So I think the, this gets to, the, I think, the foreseeability aspect of this situation. So. Uh, and I, I, I can see your light is on, and I don't mean to belabor this, yeah. but we're here on 12B6, yeah. in which, under any set of circumstances, uh, it needs to go back to the trial courts because that's the 12B6 standard. And we've been batting around all kinds of questions, issues about duty, whether contractual or tort, that could be developed uh, for purposes of a summary judgment. So why not? Sure. Uh, I would say first, Thompson was decided as a motion to, on a motion to dismiss basis. Told me I agree, but we had and we had the specialized knowledge, which might lean in your favor. Yep. Uh, Fleener was also, uh, it was a summary judgment case, but it actually has a unique uh, procedural twist in that uh, the plaintiff only designated the pleadings in response to the motion for summary judgment. So effectively, it's more like a 12B1 or something, some rule 12 motion. Um, but I think your question about the scope of this gets to that foreseeability because I think you're talking about uh, the, the need, the harm involved, the broad type of uh, plaintiff and the harm involved with that cir circumstance of you losing evidence. If you lose the evidence, what's the broad type of harm that you could cause the plaintiff in that situation, right? I don't know if you get, I don't know if you can get straight subrogation. And that's my point. In, in, in all spoliation cases, obviously you're dealing with lost evidence. So you can always say in a spoliation case, well, you lost it, so now you can't use it for whatever. But does that mean that creates a duty with respect to spoilation of evidence, right? I think keyword being evidence, use of something in a legal proceedings, right? Uh, and so it's, it's, it's one thing to say you, 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 you lost the, I'm sorry, my time's up, am I finished? It's one thing to say you lose that specific piece of property or something. It's a whole other thing to say that, that for, you foresee that that piece of property is evidence in a case when there's no knowledge that there's a litigation, uh, litigation proceeding, 
litigation potential, they were, or Michelos was made aware that there was this possibility. So there's no evidence in your mind that Michelis was told, well, it sure looks like that doggone dehydrator uh, did this. The, uh, no, I finish my answer that. Yeah. The, yeah, the need to preserve a scene for claims adjusting, I, I, honestly, more likely than not, does not lead to subrogation, right? It could just, frankly, be determining whether this is arson, whether this is... Right. But this Common is also a half million damage. dollar loss that there were no criminal activity, you know, even oh. alleged. No, it's, so it's, a, it's a pretty big number where things have to be done carefully, I would think. Yeah, if, frankly, if I'm the attorney and I do this for a living, obviously, right, we're going to be on the scene right away on this. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Your Honor. Further? Thank you, Counsel. Ms. Rowe, you have five minutes for rebuttal. Thank you. Um, I'll try to be quick. The first thing I'll say is, uh, you're right, Judge May, when you said that uh, we were talking about the contract. Murphy, the Murphy Court, uh, put the standard out. That was a Court of Appeals case, but it, it put the standard out as, and it did so in the negative. I could make it positive, but I want to be true to that case. And so it says, in the absence of an independent tort contract, which is what you were talking about, agreement or special relationship imposing a duty to the particular claimant, a third party spoliation claim ought not be recognized. Again, that's in the negative, so I would flip it. But um, it does not say you have to have a breach of contract. It's talking about a third party spoliation claim in a contract case uh, here the contract would be the special relationship. I want to go back and talk about this concept of a special relationship. Um, when you talk about the, the two cases that have recognized third-party spoliation, one was Thompson. They talk about the specialized knowledge. That's what they're talking about. They are not talking about a special relationship. There was no special relationship between the dog owners, landlords, insurance carrier, and the claimant. There was no. Um, now, in the Fleener case, which I think is interesting, it was a physician and a patient, and they talked about how there's a statute that says the physician has to keep those, but there's no private cause of action with that statute. And so the court dismissed that and instead says, you know what, here the, um, let me get my notes, there was, there was the duty to preserve arose after, well, that's saying it didn't always happen, after the doctor was advised, or after the patient had requested the records, because that's when the, 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 they were destroyed or whatever happened to them happened. So that shows you the court is not looking for titles. They're not looking for patient, doctor, even though that was in that context, or insurance carrier, insured, because again, that was not in that context in that case. Um, and instead, in Thompson, they talk about how the duty arose when the in this case, I would, I'm going to rephrase it this way. The duty arose when Michelis knew of the duty to preserve the evidence, which is in the facts, and they took steps to actually preserve it. Um, last thing that um, was said was there's no right to recover just because a plaintiff is injured. And I think that really goes to the public policy analysis when you look at the Webb versus Jarvis test, which, again, I think is a little bit modified in the third-party spoliation context. Um, but a person just can't, you know, in this case, 
the policy is against the destruction of evidence. That is the entire fabric of our legal system. We have to have evidence to do this. It, it, it promotes fairness and justice in the, in the suits. Um, in Indiana, there's also a policy where they like to deter bad conduct, conduct that's not appropriate, negligent conduct, doesn't have to be criminal conduct. They like to deter it. If there's no remedy here, there's no deterrence here. There, you know, the first party spoliation remedies would not apply to Michelis at all. Don't you have a remedy to sue them in contract? Sue them in contract? I think under Thompson, we don't have to do that. That wasn't the answer to my question. I, well, You're not saying you couldn't do that. You don't think you have to do that. Yeah. The answer to my question is not going to be great for it's not going to be very satisfying. The answer is I don't know right now. Here. Yeah, I would have to I would have to look at those contracts and see what the I have not seen those contracts. I'll just isn't be an underlying honest. point for you that that uh, the third party spoliation case line has made it very clear that this is case by case. Yes. And that you ought to be entitled to prove at trial or get yourself through summary judgment. Uh, that this is one of those cases in which that relationship ought to be recognized. Yeah, this should be the third case okay. in Indiana. That's exactly. We just want our chance to fight. That's that's all we want. And that relationship is established by the specialized knowledge of the situation. I think it's established by the fact that they, when they knew, I think that duty arose. It, I, I think it's the duty analysis, and it arose when they knew of the of the need to preserve that evidence so that. Uh, the responsible parties could be notified, um, and they actually took steps to do it, to preserve the evidence. That's what I believe the duty arose in this case, um, just by looking at the other spoliation cases. And I think, again, if you, if you, if you don't go with the spoliation, I think the negligent, a traditional negligence analysis should be analyzed here. Um, and it would still be a Webb versus Jarvis analysis. It might be a little broader. What you've alleged in the complaint is, is that they assume the duty by their actions rather than they, okay, we'll preserve it? I believe they've assumed a duty. Um, and I believe they, you know, they, they say that we waived that argument, but I don't believe that that has been waived. It's enough in the complaint, um, even if special words were not used. The, this court does not require a plaintiff to be so specialized so early in a case. So, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I'd like to thank council for their arguments. Um, we ask questions to stimulate discussion. Please do not take anything by the questions that we've asked. Um, we will um, meet about this case and talk about it and issue an opinion in due course. Thank you all. Thank you, thank you everyone. All right.